0: By the way, if the CEO doesn't know what his direct reports are, top five are, why did you hire them? Because you're probably hiring them to do those top five things anyway. So then do they have a system in place for those five things?
1: Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Yo, this is Christian De Evans with Journey with Christian De Evans podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our amazing podcast. This is where we reveal the top 1% of business concepts and systems and processes. To scale eight and nine figure businesses, we interview top level eight and nine figure CEOs, business owners, and amazing TEDx speakers like David Meltzer. We got Nick Cavuto, Pascal Bachman, and so many others. And if you feel like this resonates with you, please share this with your friend, your family, and make sure you impact them as well, because we're trying to spread the message on those that do not know how to scale eight, nine figure businesses and talking higher level business concepts. So guys, remember, enjoy the episode and be uncommon if you can Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And boy, we have an incredible guest on today, man. We are so excited about having him on. Now, at the age of 35, he helped build his first $200 million companies. By the age of 42, he engineered 1-800-GOT-JUNK, spectacular growth from $2 million, to 106 million dollars in revenue and 3,100 employees. He did that in six years. So are you going to listen to this podcast? You bet your ass you're going to. And you're probably going to share this with all your friends, your family, and your all your, your top leaders as well. Now, he has uh, best-selling books, Double Double. It's coming out in January, 2nd In Command, which we're going to be diving in here shortly. Also, Meeting Sucks, Vivid Vision, free PR, and the Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. Just from saying that, you probably already know who my next guest is, and I'm excited. He has been featured in numerous different places. He is the CEO and founder of COO Alliance and host of the Second in Command podcast. Please welcome my next guest, Cameron Harold. How you do today, Cameron?
0: Good, Christian. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this.
1: Man, I'm looking forward to it because we were vibing, and I was like, man, let's just start this podcast because we just got to run with this. And let's just dive into it because You were saying some really good things right before, and you were saying how most leaders, when we're building these businesses, a lot of my audience, right, we are not trained on certain things, and we do this a thousand times a week. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to just unpack that. You you mentioned like certain twelve skills that people are just don't.
0: I'm not dialed in. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you kind of a bunch off the top of my head that almost every single person listening right now is probably struggling with, and they don't realize they're struggling with it. So every business owner every manager runs meetings right we 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 either attend meetings or we hold zoom meetings or we hold in person meetings or we do two person or group phone calls but we probably are in a meeting or running a meeting multiple times a day and most of us have never been trained on running highly effective meetings most managers and leaders most owners have hired someone we've hired otherwise we don't even have a business right so we've all hired someone we've all done interviews But have we ever been trained on how to do an interview, how to use open questions, closed questions, the pregnant pause, how to use torque, how to do reference checks, how to set up the room, how to reverse the sales process in the interview? Most of us know. So most of us have to manage our time, but we've never had any training on time management or project management. Um, Most of us have to get results through people, but we've had no training on coaching or delegation or situational leadership. So there's all these core skills That if we would grow our people, they could grow our company. Right. So I I call it almost the two ladders approach to business that I visualize every employee as climbing up two ladders, two 40 foot ladders right beside each other. And their left hand and left foot are climbing up the skills ladder. And their right hand and right foot are climbing up the confidence ladder. So you got to raise their skills, raise their confidence, raise their skills, raise their confidence. But if at any point in time their confidence is shaking, that louder, they're not going to grow any more skills. If at any time their skills are shaky, they lose confidence. And our job as leaders is to grow them. And most of us have no idea how to grow people.
1: So let's dive into this a little bit further, because you mentioned a few there, uh, you know, like delegation, time management, coaching, interview. Uh, you you were just telling me how, you know, you, you were asking some some company and like, hey, where did you learn how to interview? Oh, from my boss. Well, how did he learn how to interview? Well, just from figuring it out, right? And the reality is nobody really figured this. I mean, the structure of it, there is a proper structure. There's a wrong way of doing it and a right way of doing it. Please unpack that a little bit for us.
0: So there's a proper way to do everything. There's a more efficient way to do everything. There's an efficient way to walk. There's an efficient way to cut a chicken. There's an efficient way to, you know, blow a balloon up. There's an efficient way to interview someone. So I visualize most entrepreneurs like flies banging their head on the window. We're going to try hard. We're going to try hard. Like, but all the flies end up dead on the windowsill. When if you step back and look, there's a door six feet to the right that's wide open. Why doesn't you just turn and go out the door? So I've always looked for the shortcuts. I've always looked for the cheat sheets. I've always looked for the easier path, right? And for me, those shortcuts and easier paths tend to be the systems. So I look for the easy to implement system. When we built one got junk as an example, we had to give every franchisee a very easy to implement system so that they could scale their business with predictability. So we simplified every system. That's what I try to do with entrepreneurs is, is teach them these skills or teach them how to grow their employees and give their employees the skills.
1: So most of our audience right now are at, at like mid-seven figures, right? Two, three, four, five million dollar run rates. They want to scale to that eight, nine figure, of course. And they understand that they've heard that. And you mentioned a few things. Which ones should they focus on? Like, are there certain you know, key, you know, focus points and say, hey, you got to focus on these, establish that, build that foundation, and then obviously add the next layer and then add the next, et cetera. Or is it more of, hey, you know what, we're going to put a percentage of of our time and focus on each one of those. What does that look like?
0: Yeah. So it looks, it's essentially, and I actually launched a course called Invest in Your Leaders, which is all the core skills that managers need to excel in their jobs. And I put all the modules of the course in the order of impact. So the first area that people need to get good at is what's called situational leadership, and it's how to adapt your leadership style on a situation by situation basis for each of the people that you re- that report to you, so that you can coach them or manage them or problem solve or delegate to them in the highest impact way, and giving them what they need in terms of of how to be led. So as an example, when you were one year old and you started walking, your parents cheered you on, and they. They were high-fiving you and they called grandma and said, grandma, he walked, Christian walked like that, that cheering you on gave you a lot of extra confidence to keep taking more steps. But does your mom cheer you on today when she sees you walking? You'd be like, mom, dude, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is weird. Right? So, so they, they don't, they don't cheer us on when we don't need the cheering on. Well, there's employees that if you praise them on things. It's kind of stupid to praise them on stuff because they're, they get it. They, they're already good at it. But there's lots of other areas that we don't praise them on enough. So it's, it's a real deeper understanding of how to actually adapt your leadership style. So that's the first one. The book, The One Minute Manager, is all based on the concept of situational leadership. It's the, the core skill that every executive at Starbucks gets trained in every three months. They get more training on situational leadership every three months just because they see it as so core. The second is coaching. That you really, a leader needs to be good at coaching employees on lots of areas of the business, coaching them on time management, coaching them on interviewing, coaching them on handling conflict, coaching them on delegation, coaching them on using Slack, coaching them on their, you know, their job, creating better designs, whatever they do. But you need to understand how to coach someone, right? There's all there's systems around coaching. Most leaders suck at that. Um, most businesses, when we're starting to scale, have to delegate projects to people. So if you're not good at delegating a project and coaching the person you've delegated it to to get a result, you tend to get stuck in doing it all on your own. It's easier just for me to do it. That's because you suck at delegating and you suck at at, um, coaching and you probably hired the wrong people. But if we can get the the core skills, so it's you kind of stack the skills and you grow them out from there.
1: You know, and what I love about what you're saying here, and there's so much there because you you you're writing this next book that's coming out in January, Second in Command, and many of your books and your content and even your podcast, Second in Command podcast, you talk about the importance of this position specifically, right, as a COO, and I want to ask a little bit about like really first of all, specifically interviewing that, but also uh, walking, making sure that you obviously are identifying okay. Are they going to delegate, you know, when you're a CEO and you have certain attributes, are you looking for someone that has different attributes so that obviously there's a synergy? Or is it saying, hey, you know what, I want to delegate this 100%. What does that look like a little bit?
0: Okay, so the starting point is for the CEO to start to delegate everything except genius, right? To start getting all the stuff off your plate that drains you of energy and that you suck at. Um, by the way, everyone who's listening right now, before you hire a second-in-command, whether it's an operations manager, or a VP ops, or a GM, or president, or a COO, before you go out and hire that more seasoned senior person, make sure that you have an executive assistant first. Right? If you don't have an executive assistant, you are one. So get all the admin work off your plate first. Get all the lower-paid jobs off your plate first. Get all the tasks that are, are $20 an hour or $15 an hour tasks off your plate to free up your time, to be more strategic, to lead people, to grow people, right? Once you know for sure that you have to hire a second in command, it's usually because you have a basket of things that need to get done. And those basket of things start to point in the direction of an operational person. And it's all the stuff that you suck at, but you know is really gonna leverage and scale the company. So then it's how do I look for somebody who matches my energy, who matches my core values, who matches my behavioral traits, but who approaches and sees business from a different perspective. You don't need someone who's just like you. You need someone who's more of the yin and yang to you, right? Someone who's the counterbalance to everything you're good at, they don't want to work on. And what's really hard is that every entrepreneur is different. Some entrepreneurs are amazing at IT and finance. Some suck at it. Some entrepreneurs are amazing in sales and marketing. Some suck at it. Some entrepreneurs are very good at operations. Some suck at it. What you need to do is decide what are you good at, what do you love doing, and how do you hire someone who can take all the stuff that you suck at, all the stuff that drain you of energy, and that's the stuff they love to do. So there's that kind of component, right? Um, but there's so much here. There's so much to unpack. I, I, that's why I wrote the book finally called The Second in Command, is I'm trying to give people the tools to actually understand what are you looking for? How do you know what to look for? How do you interview and hire for that person so that you know you've got the right person? And once you have them, how do you build that really strong relationship, that true yin-yang partnership so that you can really scale them and scale the company? And then how do you know when it's time to replace them and bring on the next one, right? How do you know when the company has gotten to a point where it's so big? Like for me, I was perfect from the million to hundred million at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, but I would have been terrible to go from a hundred million to a billion. Now they brought in a former friend of mine. Four years after I left, he was the third COO. They hired someone; she was the wrong person. They brought the former president of Starbucks in. She was gone a year later. So then Eric comes in. Eric has been amazing to go from 100 million to 400 million, but he would have been terrible in the million to hundred million phase because I understood how to franchise and how to build culture and teams, and like he would have been horrible at that. So it's it's how do you find the right COO at the right time of your organization too. Yeah, there's
1: so much that goes into it, and I know we're we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg. Um, because let me ask you, when you're get when you find that right, there's so much that goes in the hiring process. Definitely as a CEO, second in command, right? And like you mentioned, EA, you need to have that executive assistant, and you want to make sure that this is a, a elongated process. I think so many of our entrepreneurs, and I've been in the same situation where there's this pain, and you're like, okay, I can't do this by myself. So we 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 hire in a rush. Naturally, that's one big red flag. You don't need to do that. So how yeah. do you make sure what what you know, the anticipation of the proper expectation regarding like the proper homework, maybe two or three week process, or maybe talking about, you know, having the COO talk to other leaders in your organization to ensure that this person, because you don't want to be, you know, three months into this hire. And all of a sudden you start realizing you're at square one. Everybody hates that experience.
0: Well, yeah. And the reason that most people take 90 days to know if they made the right hire is they suck at interviewing. But if you actually understood how to do job interviews, understood how to to profile a a resume, understood how to put a couple of hoops in place for the process, understood how to use group interviews and the resume, the video interview, if you understood that process, you'd have higher prediction on who you're actually going to be actually hiring. But yeah, so so again, it's the same thing. It's it's the blind leading the bank. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to learn from my mistakes. Learn from everybody else's mistakes. People have have gone before you, have already done all this stuff and figured it out. Instead of being that radically self-reliant and rugged individual that you can do it on your own and try and learn from failure, fuck that. Learn from everybody else's failure. Fast forward your growth. So when Uh, you find that person, go ahead, go ahead. See, I learned that because my very first company I got involved in was called College Pro Painters. So I was a franchisee of College Pro when I was 20 years old. College Pro went on to become the world's largest residential house painting company. But every year, they had 800 franchisees that they had to train. I was so terrified of failing that I memorized the 330-page operating manual and did everything it told me to do. So I was so scared of failure that I just did the shortcuts. And that's what showed me is there's almost a shortcut or a system for everything out there. So rather than trying to figure it out, I'll just do what the smart people are telling me.
1: And I love that analogy, by the way, of the of the fly hitting the window. You know, you see those flies, and we're like, we're smarter than that. But the reality is, we're not. <laughs> we keep doing that, and we're like, oh, there's a you know, there's a door over here that's wide open, there's a window wide open. Why don't you do that, you dumb idiot? You know, <laughs> so I it's, really I love that analogy, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's there's there's a Family Guy episode of this fly trying to get out the window, and they're sitting on the couch going, it's over there, it's over there. They're like trying to tell where the fly where the window is. I'm like, dude, the people. Business owners make it so hard for themselves, and I and I I, I feel bad for them. So I'm a kind of on this this rant about grow your people, they'll grow your business, right? It's it's why I finally had to launch the course. Is is my books don't give enough of the content and ideas, and my people can't afford me as a coach. So you know, it's how do I give give something out that's priced so affordably? It's irresponsible. I priced it at seven hundred and fifty dollars a person, like, and they get lifetime access, like. If you're not going to pay $750 to grow one of your employees, you should probably fire that employee for real. Right. If you've got if you've got an $80,000 person, that's literally less than 1% of their salary, pay 1% to grow them. Anyway, I don't
1: know. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, because I mean, you Like you said, you don't know what you don't know as the CEO, as those that are listening right now, and to have someone come in, like Cameron, that has done extremely well, that is literally laying this out at a very micro level, because my next question here is when you do hire, because in your in your second in command book, you're going to be talking a lot about this, the hiring process, but also that that training system, but when you do hire that person. What is that proper expectation? Because I've done this where I've hired someone and I'm like, okay, go figure it out. And I expect them to already know what what I want. But I didn't obviously have that clear communication. I Mm -hmm. learned from that, obviously, experience. And I think a lot of people do this. And we still do that. And and, uh, making sure that there is a plan of action, right? There's a process. There's a system in place. Hey, the next 90 days, we're going to be meeting one-on-one. We're going to be talking about this. We're going to give you access to this. This is what you're focused on, et cetera. And, and reverse engineering that and then obviously you know 90 days from here you're you are you are really 100% rock and roll what, what does that look like
0: yeah well first it's longer than 90 days it it usually takes 6 to 9 months for a senior executive to get up to speed enough that they feel grounded in the organization and they feel that they're tri- like even the year mark where they feel like they really feel comfortable it's like starting at a new school you don't feel like you're you fit in at a new school until you're there for your second or third year it's very similar when you come into a bigger company because you don't know all the people and the teams and the idiosyncrasies and the history and the culture and the core values and the, the customers and the language and the short, you know, the, the TLAs, all the three-letter acronyms, like, right, you don't have any of this, this IP. So the proper onboarding process of a senior executive, very different from an, um, an entry-level person, but a senior executive that's coming into a job, let's say you're hiring your COO, the first 30 days is for them to sit in and observe in as many meetings as they can. Watch the board meeting, watch for leadership team meetings, watch some call center meetings, sit in on the marketing meetings, sit in on some job interviews and have a notebook and scribble down notes and just keep writing down notes of everything you see, concerns, opportunities, almost like a a 30-day SWOT analysis being done and say nothing. Meet with every director, meet with every manager, do skip level meetings, get to know people who they are, what that turns them on, what excites them, what their passions are, like get to really know people, coffees and lunches and breakfasts with as many people as you can. So the next 30 days, the next 30 days, what happens is you're actually taking all the areas that you've observed, all the notes that you wrote down in your notebook, and you start stress testing all of those based on the highest order of impact. So take the projects you think could make the most impact of the company and go and ask people about what you see. Hey, I saw this. I want to pick your brain. Hey, I saw this. I was thinking about what do you think? So month two is all about stress testing and digging in and and learning more about some of your ideas and assumptions. Month three, you start pressing play on the execution side of things. And you never, ever, ever make a recommendation on hiring anyone or firing anyone until month three, because you don't have enough industry IP yet. You don't understand the company yet. You're tending to rely on your biases or wanting to, to run and do something. You really have to resist the urge as a senior person to make any of those decisions until the third month.
1: That right there is so important. So basically what you're saying is do not give them the the, the 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 driver's seat until the third month because they are not in their head, right? Like you mentioned, they come in with a different, even though they may be skilled in that or whatever it may be, and they've been previous COO, the reality is don't do that because of course they are not familiar with your ecosystem, your culture, your systems, your process, et cetera. That's a really, really solid point. I, I appreciate you saying that.
0: And uh, yeah. they, also ha- they also haven't built up enough of a trust. They haven't done enough deposits into the relationship bank with all the people they need to have the relationships with so that when they make the tough decision, they're not the asshole. You know, it's, it's the classic step monster idea, right? When, when, when a guy and a woman get remarried and all of a sudden the woman becomes the step monster, it's because she tends to overparent too quickly and the kids don't have a good relationship of trust with her. She's probably parenting correctly. She's probably making all the right decisions in, in parenting, but there's not enough of a relationship there to respect her. So you need to work on the relationship first and really understand stuff first to understand the full picture first. And then after you've built the relationship and trust, can you start to be the one who's making decisions?
1: You're killing me with these analyses, by the way. These are some really solid analyses. I don't know where you come up with them, but they're really spot on. Now, this is, the stress this is my whole world. <laughs> That's awesome. all I think about. Now I want to talk because... Because you're, you're very good at culture. And I'm always intrigued by, because you, you mentioned skills and confidence. And you mentioned that, of course, growing throughout your business. But when you are scaling to eight, and nine, you have 3,100 employees. You're not able to build that really, really dialed into each individual, right? And knowing them at a very micro level. So you have to really rely on your first tier and your second tier and your third tier leaders a little bit. And so I'm curious, how do you integrate this culturally uh, into the DNA of the company?
0: So the the core is to make sure that you first craft a vivid vision that describes your company three years in the future, right? What does your company look like, act like, and feel like three years from now? And it becomes a four or five page written description of what your company looks like, acts like, and feels like in the future. That becomes the starting point that you start to align people with. And you only hire people that are excited with that. Second is you hire people and fire people based on the core values. If people are breaking the core values, you get rid of them. But when you've got people aligned with your core purpose, your BHAG, your core values, and your vivid vision, it's very easy to start having that cultural pull, right? Culture is not about the the perks. It's not about the free massages and the free lunch. It's about that deep obsession with core purpose and goals and holding people accountable and then praising on the core values and really kind of exhibiting that kind of stuff. That's really what it's based on. So that's that's the first part. The second part is when you start firing people who are inside of your company because they're not getting results and they break the core values, when you're willing to make those tough decisions, it really raises the bar. It raises the game where people are like, hell yeah, I only want to work with A players anyway. But if you let the C players stay in your company, the A players feel like they're second class citizens. Your A players are race horses, B players are workhorses, C players should go to the glue factory. And you have to look at getting rid of those seeds, and that's where culture culture really starts to permeate from there.
1: With your experience being able to raise, you know, uh, you know, and scale many companies, how fast can you identify a a C player? Can you identify that like in the interview process? You're like, okay, hey, this is not going to be a fit for culturally and value, and you know, in, in, within within your company, or is, does it take a little bit on like thirty days or so? I'm just
0: curious from your experience. No, it, well, if it takes thirty days, you suck at interviewing. Like again. I, I, I'm not going to make a job. It's too fucking important what we're building to make a job offer and then waste 30 more days and start the process again after telling everybody else. No. So what I do is I cast a big net. I bring in all the potential resumes that I can. I don't look at a single resume. I email everybody back who sends a resume and I say, thanks for your resume. I'm not going to read it yet. Please send me a two to three minute video of why you want to work here and how you can make the attached vivid vision come true. They'll read the vivid vision and they're either going to love it or hate it. Then they're going to reply about that vivid vision. If I like the cultural fit of their video, then I'll look at their resume to see if they have the skills to match some of the culture fit. Then I'll bring them into a group interview and I'll interview four to seven of them at the same time over Zoom or in person to see who I vibe with and who the right cultural DNA is. And usually two people rise to the top and then you don't even interview the other five. You bring the two people in for the very in-depth SIDS interview, the, the skills interview, you know, and then you can kind of proceed from there. Most companies aren't willing to do the work, so they just say it's hard to hire people. And the other part is, great employees are never going to go work for an average company. Like Let that sink in. Great employees, A players, will never work for an average company. So if your company is only average, then at best, you're looking at Bs and Cs. You're not even close to looking at A's. Yeah, because correct
1: me if I'm wrong. By doing all these these steps, right, right there, almost eighty percent or eighty five percent of people will obviously weed themselves out. They will not do the video. They will not respond to your email. They will not do this stuff. And it's like cool, wonderful, right? Yeah. They didn't take your time. You didn't have to interview them. You didn't take any of your energy. You didn't have to look at their 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 resume either, because you're like you know what, it wasn't a good fit. They self selected,
0: which is cool. I'll give you. I wanna, I'll give you an example. Here's an example. Years ago, I was recruiting a, a, a C, or a um an executive assistant, and I wrote in the job posting working for a very manic, slightly ADD executive assistant. You know, I need a slightly less ADD, very process-focused DA. And then uh, seven or eight sentences later, it said, at times I'm fucking overwhelmed with whatever. And I go, oops, there it is, my first F-bomb. You know, but at least I get it out of the way. I had people come say, like, reply back going, I can't believe you swore in a job posting. I'd never worked for you. Delete. I can't believe you swore. Why would you do that? Delete. I fucking love that you swore. You'd probably be an amazing boss to work with. Who are you? Hmm, Let me read more about you. Because I don't love that I swear, but you know what? If I try to hide who I am, they're going to find out 90 days later too. So I want them to know everything about me day one so that I push half of them away and I attract the other people like a magnet. I only want, like Steve Jobs used to say when he would show the wooden prototype of the Mac, he said, if you didn't see the twinkle in their eyes. He didn't bring them in to see if they had the skills because he didn't care if they had the skills. I need people vibrating in their seat, and then those people, I'll see if they have the skills. That's where culture comes. That's how we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We ranked as the number two company in all of Canada to work for. It's because we obsessed about scaling culture and hiring the right people who had the skills because they'd done it before. I also don't want to hire a bunch of MBAs that know how to do something. I want to hire someone who has done it before. I'm not looking for book theory. Right. I'm not looking for like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. Have you done it before? No, but I can do it. Fuck that. I need somebody who's done it before. And most of those people add- are working somewhere. Most good employees already have a job. You need to go poach them,
1: Poach them. go out there, hunt them. I like it. I like it. And, uh, because that's really what it comes down to a players. They want to attract other a players, man. That's awesome. I want to ask you because I had this situation where I was talking to a friend of mine. He was running at about a six million dollar run rate. Uh, He hired a COO. They were really rocking and rolling. They were hitting. They were going to, you know, scale to eight, mid eight figures. I was like, man, this is exciting. That's awesome for you, man. And then all of a sudden, the COO decided to find another position at another place. And all of a sudden, all that momentum, all that thing, right? Now all of a sudden, the CEO had to position very quickly and say, okay. What's the systems? What's the process? I don't even know her role. How's this operating? And he had to take on that responsibility. And the thing was, and, and you know, I, I want to ask because there are certain circumstances where you cannot control that, where you COO, the second in command, they do have a lot of operation systems, right? They're They're kind of pushing everything. But wow. I'm curious how... Uh, Let me ask you, how do you build systems around that, whether, you know, documenting it, of course, SOPs, et cetera, to ensure that when that does happen, when there is the unexpected, you know, happens to ensure that the the ship is is consistently moving forward?
0: So you need to have the playbooks or, or SOPs in place for the critical few things, but not for the important many, right? You need to have, like, everybody needs to have their top five or so things systemized, but I don't need their other 80, because the reality is most new executives, when they come in, are going to do it their way anyway. They're going to bring in new ideas, new chains, new SOPs. So you need to have your critical few SOPs documented, but not the important many. Second thing is you need to make sure that the leader is always growing their people. Right? If the leader's in a command and control, that's when you have risk. But if the leader's in that kind of more servant and they're trying to grow their people all the time and the leader leaves, that's okay because they built a group of skilled people anyway. So it's more of a leadership roles to make sure that they're growing people and not in a command and control kind of situation.
1: Yeah. So that circumstance, that COO or CEO, they were not preparing that second second leadership because there was nobody there to fulfill. They didn't know all their systems. They didn't know all that stuff. So that that's kind of what happened there. And they should have been a very, very, you know, realized that. Yeah. Okay. And, and then you, so you talk about the top five. What are those top five? Would you say, are those like SOPs or baseline things that they need to it's it's, all it's, contextual. It's, what,
0: it's Yeah, it's for you in your role. What are the top five, God forbid, like, you know, if, if you quit your job or you died tomorrow, and we needed your podcast to keep going. What are the top five things that we need to make sure happen? You need to know that about every person, right? What are the like? Yeah. And by the way, if the CEO doesn't know what his direct reports are, top five are, why did you hire them? Because you're probably hiring them to do those top five things anyway so then do they have a system in place for those five things
1: so it's very contextual and that's why yeah. they have you know people should be you know consuming your content because that's how they're able to unpack that and say oh these are the top five things that hey if I'm moving out now i want to ask also because i had a uh, you, I, I met you in regards to you actually did a really cool um, interview with someone, and they were talking about M and A, you know, and where you know you're growing, you're scaling through M and A, and there's there's other companies, right? And in this circumstance, I want to ask a little bit more of like that conversation about hey, when you're acquiring a company. Underneath the mother company. There are other top leaders in that. And sometimes the COO and the COO and there's SOPs and there's all this stuff. And there's a lot of that kind of integration that has to happen. I want to ask in regards to what that looks like, um, you know, maybe just integrating it properly. Um, do, you know, is there, is there like a, a one, you know, do you recommend having a COO for each kind of micro, micro, you know, organism for, for each company uh, with, within its, within a portfolio company or, What does that look like?
0: Okay, so if it's a portfolio of companies, let's say you're talking about like if you're an entrepreneur and you've got five portfolio companies working for you, each of those portfolio companies needs its own vivid vision. Each needs its own goals for the year. Each needs its own team in place, either fractional or full-time that are running the the system, right? So each uh, there's an old saying that if you try to sit on more than one toilet, it gets kind of messy. Think of each business as a toilet, right? (laughs) Sorry for the analogy, but it's true. So. Um, so, yeah, you need to have somebody running the team. Otherwise, nobody's running anything.
1: Would you say that you need a CEO as well in each one of those or just an no. no operator would be? Good you you need like a,
0: manage, a managing director, an operating director, or you know, a VP of somebody, somebody who is in charge of that business, but understands the vision of the company. They understand the core purpose of the company. They know the goals of the company. They know the, the, um, you know, the, the budget they've been given, and, and then they can figure out how to make that happen. It's no different than a home, a home builder who's making building one house or they're building five houses on the same street or they're building a whole subdivision. You don't need a a CEO for every house, but you need to have whatever moving parts you need for the size of the company and the scale that you're going to. But you need to know what you're building and why you're building it and what your budget is, right? Otherwise, if you're building one or five or a hundred homes, the whole thing will go to shit.
1: I love that you stay with, you know, your other books there and your other content at the baseline, the foundation and building that in each one and in each incremental micro level, because it's so important. I now I want to kind of dive into, let's talk a little bit about like, okay, there's a mother company and they've acquired a, a smaller company, right? And that smaller company is doing maybe eight figures. Okay. So they have a CEO, they have a COO, CEO sold the company, right? But the, the rest of the leadership wants to um, go, go with, with the mother company, um, the, you know, mother company has COO and uh, the, the the company that got acquired is got a COO as well that conversation, that dialogue, that integration of team. Now, this is kind of culturally, you know, talking about culture and making sure that everything's aligned, values, et cetera, and, and vivid vision as well. But I want to ask a little bit about like integrating that properly uh, for the COO, COO's role because I do know some people that have listened to our podcast, they have, they grow through M&A and that is one of their conversations a little bit, how to make sure that they structure that when they're looking at a deal, that conversation that needs to be had. Like, hey, if we do go through this, how does that look like?
0: Yeah. So the first thing that you're going to integrate when you do the acquisition, I've got a number of clients that I've either coached on this. We even have a, all of, a lot of our members of the COO Alliance have done um, M&A stuff. And we're, we've got our, our event in January is all about the M&A process and how to integrate your new acquisitions. So the first thing that you need to focus on is not the systems. It's not making sure they're using the same software. It's not the same accounting system. It's not them showing up to the meetings. The first thing you need to integrate them to is is your, your culture right? It's the why you do what you do. It's the history of how you got here. It's your core purpose. It's your BHAG. It's your vivid vision. It's the obsession around core values. And if they're not aligned with all that one by one, you have to get rid of them so that you have two groups that are completely aligned at the core. After you have that core, then you can work on the rebranding, right? So often if I do an acquisition, it'll be a tuck under acquisition. So, when we, we were building out um, Boyd Auto Body in Canada and Gerber Auto Collision in the US, it would become the largest collision repair chain in the world. Every time that Gerber acquired a chain of auto body shops, it would be Gerber Auto Collision, you know, would be the small and, the, and you know, Masters Auto Body, a Gerber company. And then a year later, it would be Master Auto, you know, a Gerber company would be 50 50. And then a year later, it would be all Gerber. So, you kind of phase in the new brand over the two years. And, and then the, the second thing you're doing kind of in month six to month 12, you fire half of the finance team, you get rid of some of the marketing managers, you get rid of some of the overhead, the overlap in the, the businesses, so that you can actually go cash flow positive quite quickly on the acquisitions. But it's, it's less about what software we got them, what systems are we using, and more about can we culturally align people, and we can, can we get rid of the people that aren't the right fit, and then can we get rid of the waste.
1: Is it a compromise of culture? Like, Hey, you know what? We like this, these people's culture and let's compromise on what that looks like. Or is it more of like, Hey, this is the mother company. This is the culture and we have to align. If you don't align then we obviously are getting red. Like, what what does that look like? Is there, is there a compromise or not really?
0: I don't think it's, I don't think it's a compromise. I think it's more, it's an evolution. You evolve, right? Like I'm, I'm remarried right now and my new wife is very different from my, Uh, my prior wife. So I'm, it's not like I compromise to be with her, but I definitely, I eat healthier. I, I exercise more. I did breath work this morning. I'm like, Oh shit, maybe I'm living healthier. Is that a compromise? No, I'm probably evolving. Now, have I given up some stuff that I used to do? Yeah. But I don't really see it as a compromise because I wouldn't be. So you don't do the acquisition to compromise. You learn from them and they learn from you. If that makes sense. I think. But there needs to be one clear core purpose. There needs to be one clear vivid vision. There needs to be one clear org chart. There needs to be one clear set of core values. And if you don't buy into those, then you should leave. I'm not going to compromise my core values to keep Fred or to keep a new company. They're either going to fit in or we're going to get rid of them or we're going to get people who do fit in. And you're also probably not going to, like, you should never acquire a company that's that socially different, right? (laughs)
1: No, really, really good, and yeah, that leads to my next question here. Because I have talked to some people; they love the finances of the company, They love the IP, they love the whatever it may be that they're buying, right? Their ecosystem, and they see all the check marks. But I've also understand the culture is so important, right? Because you are, you know, you know, investing a lot of that team as well, bringing those in, and you got to make sure that there's that synergy. I'm curious, from your experience, you know, you know, advising so many companies doing that. What, how much, how much emphasis do you put on the finances versus the culture? Is it a 50, 50, or is it more like, Hey,
0: 80, 80% culture and 20% finances when you look at the whole acquisition? Well, and I think we're talking about acquisitions that are kind of in the million dollar to $10 million size. Would that be accurate for this audience? Mm Yes. So, so when you're looking at companies that are 10, uh, you know, million to $10 million size, First and foremost, I can probably make all of those acquisitions go cash flow positive within the first two years. So I know that I can flip it very quickly and I can walk you through how that's done so that that whole acquisition can go cash flow positive. What I'm trying to do is get rid of the dead rate and get rid of the cultural people that don't fit in so that I can then integrate it so that then we can get the real leverage. So no, you're never going to compromise on the core value side.
1: Brilliant, man. This is this is really excellent. Um so I, we talked a lot about this stuff, man, and this is very exciting. Is there anything that I should, we should be saying or mentioning to our audience that we have not covered talking about? Because we could dive deep into each one of these things, but I want to make sure like they are obviously they need to reach out to you and invest in your course and be part of what you got going on. But is there anything that we have not touched that we need to
0: obviously mention here
1: for our audience?
0: I think it's just the whole, it's the reality that our job is to get results through other people right? Our job is to grow their skills, to delegate more. It's to inspire them more. I don't think I've seen very many leaders that praise people or thank their people enough. I don't think I have found very many leaders who literally raise their company like they would grow their children, right? If you, if you only tell your, your employees once a month or once a quarter that you love them and appreciate them, how would that go with your spouse, right? You're going to tell your wife, once a once a year that you're happy or once a quarter that you're happy of course not it's like a daily ongoing and it's specific right thank you for doing that i appreciate this i'm grateful for that leaders need to do way 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 more of that um your to-do list should shouldn't shouldn't be your to-do list it should be like you know my list of shit that needs to get done by somebody else list it needs to get done but not by you i guess the last well, thing what's is interesting. none of this the last part is none of this actually matters. Like we're all going to die and this is just what we do to make money. Like we got to have some fun along the way, right? This is just what we do to make money.
1: Well, you're talking a lot about intentionality, and I, uh, you know, I think we hear about you know culture, and we hear about hiring process, and we hear about all this stuff, and it, it becomes almost that big elephant in the room. It's like, how do we eat that, right? And I know it's just a small in in your content, you really be able to micro micro level it down for those individuals, but being intentional, and I love what you said in regard to the leadership. I wanted to kind of step into this a little bit because, you know, you. You bought in an amazing amount of culture to be able to scale these companies. And it, like you mentioned, you have to develop the skills and the confidence. And I'm curious, what did you do, Cameron, on a, on a consistent basis in your leadership? Right. I'm talking about your leadership with your people and building really strong relationships with those people so that they had that buy-in, that they took ownership of their role. They took ownership of their position. They're like, you know what? I want to do this because, you know, I, I feel a good confidence with Cameron.
0: So one, one was that I was absolutely the same person day in and day out and at home and at work. I was very consistently. There was no game face. There was no fake it till you make it. There was no business Cameron and at home Cameron. I was just Cameron. Like when social media came around, I had the first Facebook account at 1.200 got junk in May of 2007. It was because I was comfortable with being open with who I was like, here's me taking me like, so there was a connection because I was, I was approachable. Right. that's one. The second is to really actually getting to know your employees. Like not 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 where they went to school and what their skills are, but like who are they? What are they scared of? What are they struggling with? Like at the end of the day, every single person is struggling with something. Do you know what that is? Do you empathize? Do you care? Like more often than not, the reason that they're showing up late or they're missing a project or they're not getting the work done is something's overwhelming them. Something's you know, hurting them. And and do you give a fuck? Like if you actually care, you'll connect. And then the last one is I always try to take something and make it a little bit more than a business, a little bit less than a religion. I like to get into the zone of a cult. And if I can really focus on building that strong culture, um, it's like a magnet, right? And I guess the last one is I fire my C players so that I can spend time with my A players. But if I spend all my time with my underperforming low culture people, it means I'm ignoring supposedly my best people.
1: That's brilliant, man. And when you're talking about your leadership, right, building that relationship, you know, being authentic and being vulnerable with them. What were some moments where you were authentic, you were vulnerable with your people that you didn't really want to, but you knew that you needed to? Because it was like it was a tough time. Maybe it was financially, or in 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 the, in the business, or maybe it was like, hey, we may not get this, or maybe someone you know got your best A player, you know, quit or whatever it may be. Like what those those tough situations where you had to be authentic and vulnerable, and you got more buy-in, and you
0: saw some incredible synergy with your people. Oh God, so many. I mean, you know, I I've told my employees that I'm scared about specific things. I've told them I'm frustrated about specific things. I've told them that. Um, You know, I was having issues where my mom passed away or my dad passed away or my kid was sped fucked up or like case after case after case after case where I've just been human. Like we're all we're all human. We're all going through our shit. And then at work, if I'm supposed to know everything, then what am I hiring them for? I'm supposed to hire smart people. I don't know how to do this stuff. I just know how to align you and get the hell out of your way. And they like that.
1: Do you have discernment
0: though? Do you, are
1: there certain things that are offline where like, hey, I'm not going to talk about this? Or is it more of like, hey, I'm just going to be just Cameron Harold? This is who I am 100% regardless.
0: I don't fucking care. Like, I paint my toenails. They're my I have green toenails. Like, do, do I really give a shit? Like, I, I, my everything, everything about me is transparent. So, um, no, I really, I don't have, I don't need discernment. What I need is the human connection and to connect with them as people and realize, like, I don't know how to do this or I fuck this up. Because, I, I, I try to create, create this no-blame environment, right? Where no, if something happens and goes wrong, no one's at, at fault, no one's to blame, right? That I want to create a, I want, I want us to find the system that's missing or the system that's broken. So it's okay for me to go. I don't know how to do this. They go, oh, I do, or I can help you find somebody, or do you want to brainstorm around that? Or, or if I go, I'm, I'm frustrated with this. What do you guys think? They like being included in on that.
1: And that's yeah. how you build that culture, that empoweringness and, and, and that, that, that cult, uh, cult kind of structure. You mentioned empathy. And I want to ask you, Cameron, throughout your journey, what was one skill that you had to work on tremendously that you did not like it, it didn't come naturally to you, but you're very proud
0: of now? Uh, <laughs> There's a joke. I'm, I'm so proud of how humble I am. Um, so the, the, uh, the thing that I've had to work on is that I think out loud. So I don't have quiet thoughts. I don't have thoughts in my head. I, I communicate my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, my ideas. And for my employees, that can be fairly bewildering and overwhelming. So I've had to learn that um, I need to sometimes slow down. I need to somehow or to communicate to them, hey, I'm just thinking out loud here. Or I'm making this up as I go. Or just just let me kind of go off the top of my head for a couple minutes. Um, I've also had to, to realize and be very in tune with when I frustrate people or, or um, that I can be very like, like, not as bad as Steve jobs, but like, why the fuck did we do that? That sucks. So I don't like this. And I realized there's a person attached to that. So I I've really worked hard at making sure that I confront the issue, not the person. Like, I don't, I like, I like you. I just don't like that project. I like you. I just don't like that result. I like you, but this system sucks. Or I like you, but this is too wordy. So it's by constantly praising and thanking and, and, making sure that they understand I like them, but there's things that they're doing that we need to work on. There's you know results that we're getting that we need to raise, change, change. Um, so I've got a, a Loom video that I'm going to be doing in about five minutes or 25 minutes to one of my team. And it's to, to show him something that he kind of fucked up on. And I, I'm going to use the video as a way to illustrate the point. I'll be like, hey, dude, I just want to show you something. You totally fucked up on this, but I love you. I just want to illustrate a point over Loom. It's going to be easier for me to share it this way and I'll fuck it up if I type it. And then I'll show him. But by me delivering it to him in that way, he at least realizes it's a safe container that he did something wrong. But it's not like a it's not his job at risk. He just just fucking change it next time.
1: I love what you said there, and it, yeah, because I was going to ask you this because I always found this so interesting. Because when you are at an eight and nine figure, you have C suite level, and we know like diversification is very important, diversity in thought, and so forth. However, though, that means that there's 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 difference of opinion in that situation, right? <laughs> But sometimes you, at the end of the day, the CEO or the managing partner, whoever may be president, has to make a decision. And at the end of the day, they all have to align and say, okay, we're all going for that vivid vision, right? That whole concept, right? Yes, my idea wasn't picked. Dang. But like you mentioned, I think that's very valuable. And that's something that you had to learn. Do you feel like you're still learning that? Or do you feel like that that's something that's um, that you, you just had to become very attentional, become very aware?
0: No, I've I've I, I learned that pretty early on. I mean, I had twelve employees when I was twenty years old. I started my first operating company thirty five years ago. So I, I that's that's old hat to me. Um, what I don't do is it's not the autocratic dictatorial. It's my way or the highway. It's just at at times my, I'm like, okay, that's cool. I got all your ideas. Thanks for all the input. I'm going to make this decision. Or hey, I got all your ideas. What do we think will be the decision? But I let them know if this is a consensus decision or if it's a one-way unilateral decision, and that if they know that going in, then they're okay with with you know making that decision. But sometimes it doesn't need to be my decision. Sometimes I want the group to to figure stuff out. Um, but if I decide to make the call, sometimes I go, "Hey, I'm making the call on this, but I'm also willing to live by the sword and die by the sword if I'm wrong or there's another way." But I'm not. I'm never like obtuse and like dictatorial about it. My fucking company, so we're doing it this way. You dick, like you know what I mean. There's a there's an art behind that you just have to learn. That
1: speaking of art, when you're dealing with your team, because I've had situations where I had to talk tough with my team, but they appreciate because they're A players and they raised the occasion, which I really appreciate. However, that there were some people they are A players, but I had to come in and approach it empathetically because I knew that they were they were downtrodden, right? They would just kind of beat up their life, hit them, whatever, and I knew. And so I'm curious, Cameron, with your, with your experience, right, being in tough situations, probably things, you know, blood boils, right, you know, you know heads hit, right? I'm curious, what do you do to help yourself make sure that you're, you're level-headed that you're when you're coming in? Like you mentioned, just certain things, but are there certain things that you put in boundaries, maybe some breathing techniques, maybe some th- certain things to make sure that you're thinking logically and that emotion doesn't come too much and you, you destroy the, the morale or the
0: culture uh, and the synergy? Well, there's a there's a couple of things. One is I remember, you know, the first two modules for my course are situational leadership and coaching. And what you're just talking about is it applies with both of those two things. So I tend to default back to this system that I just know how to use. It's become the unconscious competence, right? Um, second part, I guess, for me is like I realize like if I do anything that destroys the energy of my group, it's gonna take a, a month to recover from that. So my role is the chief energizing officer. CEO is chief energizing officer. I need to inspire and grow their confidence and grow their skills. Not get all pissy and rant and rave, and you know that doesn't do anything. So I need to to, to look at what are the things that I'm doing. Am, am I raising the energy? Am I raising the confidence of the group? And if I'm not, then I need to work on that. So it's just become kind of the unconscious confidence. I think again, like I'm always trying to build that cult. So what would a cult, you know, a cult leader do? Not yell at people. You just kind of somehow align them and inspire them and then get out of their way.
1: I love this man. I love this conversation because you're just you're just knocking out some some amazing, amazing stuff there. Uh Cameron, I really appreciate you being on here. And I what I really appreciate is you going out there and doing what you needed to do and now being able to take all this information that you've learned from your own trials and errors and failures, but also amazing successes and now be able to help and impact so many people. And uh, you know, just seeing the the work you're doing, I really appreciate you being on our podcast. Cameron, for those that want to reach out, they're like, oh shit, I need to optimize every aspect, what what you just said, and they want to consume your content. How do they reach out to you? How do they be part of what you got going on, my man?
0: I think the the shortcut for this audience, for sure, they should all be signing up a few of their managers to the Invest in Your Leaders course. That's the no-brainer starting point, right? For the price and for the skills that are covered. When you grow your people, they'll grow your business. That would be first. All five of my books, my, my sixth book will all be available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. So those are all out there. Um, and I would say the starting point book for people, I would start with vivid vision as number one, probably double double for number two. If you're looking to hire that second in command, yeah, then read the second in command book. That would be my two starting points. And then if your company is at least 5 million or greater, and you have a second in command, take a look at the COO Alliance for sure.
1: Awesome. and guys, those links will be in the description below. I'll put everything down there. Also his LinkedIn account, as well as his podcast. So you guys can consume that content, be part of his ecosystem. He's got tons of content out there. And again, Cameron, I really appreciate you making the emphasis and being on the forefront of talking about this stuff, because again, you know, we don't know what we don't know, right? Business owners don't know what they don't know. And so you're in a situation where you're focused on the wrong thing at the wrong time or the wrong sequence. And what you're basically saying is, Hey, I've already been there, done that. I'm laying this out. I know exactly what the path looks like. You might as well learn from me instead of going out there and, you know, being the stupid, you know, fly on the wall. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Cameron, uh, I always love you. Uh, appreciate you being on here. I always love to ask my guests before I let you go fully. Is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience?
0: I think it's just to remember that none of this actually matters. We're just, you know, we're just all walking each other home. So like, have some fun along the journey. Right. Have some fun. I remember this is just what we do to make a buck.
1: And remember, paint your toenails, man. There you, go. you are, man. I love it. I love it, <laughs> guys. That is the founder and uh, of COO Alliance and host of Second in Command and so many other books. My friend Cameron Harold, guys. That is Journey with Christian Diaz podcast. Until next time, be uncommon if you can. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.